Hi guys, welcome back to an all new episode of the Mastering Agility podcast. This series aims to inspire you and others by bringing in the best of the business. Before going into the content, a little announcement, and that is that the Mastering Agility platform has started to set up events, both virtual as well as physical events, to connect, inspire angelists like you together, as well as with really awesome guests. We're starting with that tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow already, the 14th of April, where we have an Ask Me Anything any event with myself, with professional scrum trainer Ryan Brook and Leslie J. Morse of Scrum.org. You can ask us anything about becoming a professional scrum trainer, about the entire process from beginning till the end, why you should want to be a part of that, what comes to play, what kind of aspects are they looking for, anything, you name it, anything about the process of becoming a professional scrum trainer, you can ask us. There will be way more events in the future, at least once a month. Just be aware that this is that you can sign up through meetup.com, through our Discord channel, Mastering Agility Discord, hope I can see you there, as well as through LinkedIn. Find us there. Now for today's episode, we have Australia's Anthony and Murphy, a product guru, and we're talking about product ethics, an aspect that we both feel is vastly overlooked. I really enjoyed talking to him. I hope you guys do too. Let's welcome Ant. Anthony Murphy, thank you very much for joining us from the other side of the world today. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm a bit miserable. Probably European weather right now, uh, where I am. <laughs> well, yeah. At the moment, this weather goes up and down. One day it's 20 degrees Celsius, and, and the other day we had snow. So for some reason, it's all up and, uh, up and down. Are you having snow as well? Uh, sorry, what was that? I literally actually just cut out a little bit. Are you having snow as well? Uh, no, not snow, but rain. Lots of rain. Ah, oh, that's sucky. Hey, today we're going to be talking about a little bit of more of a of an angle that's less discussed. I mean, we were just discussing Scrum and frameworks and the the, the whole the, the 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 mechanical part of product delivery and, and product. Yeah, you know, the, the way that we create products are very much discussed. Uh, there's a crap ton written about it. There are a million books on it. Um, but the other aspects that were less discussed is ethics in products and uh, the, how do you actually create value? What does that value mean? What makes that such an interesting topic to you? Yeah, I mean, so breaking that down into um, two two pieces, which are somewhat interlinked as well. Uh, value to me is super interesting because we use the word all the time. Uh, I mean, I remember my first gig as a product owner. I had, was an agile coach and said, and we're talking about prioritizing and, and you know, you're, you're, you know, we often define the role as a product owner is maximizing the value. I was like, okay, what do we mean by value? And they're like, just prioritize by value. Okay. Well, what do you mean by that? Or oh, business value. Okay. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, what, what, what's going to provide value to the business? What, what do customers want? Okay, well, what do we mean by that? And uh, and it's, it's this very vague term that we use all the time. And um, and really, I guess I reflect on that, and I think it was pretty pretty crappy advice that was given to me. But uh, and how how do you go about that? Uh, and then ethics comes into it too, because sometimes there's things that are you know there's a question about whether we should do something. So there's not even like is it is it valuable or not. There's also is it the right thing to do? Is, should should we do it or not? And and 
you know, working inside businesses, particularly as product people, were the arbiters of crafting things that have that people use in their everyday lives, and that can have a huge impact on their lives. Uh, and there's an element of responsibility that goes with that, which I think is often overlooked or not talked about, at least. And why not? What what makes it so hard to discuss these kinds of things? Or not necessarily hard, but why do we not talk about this? Because if you explain it like this, it sounds like common sense, right? This is the thing that we should be doing, but why aren't we? Yeah, I mean, um, from an ethics point of view, I'm not sure why we're not talking about it. Maybe it's something that, uh, I believe it's something on the rise. We're seeing it already. Uh, there's companies that are, you know, even even like what I'm wearing, I'm wearing an Adidas hoodie at the moment and th- they have a huge, huge sustainability thing, right? As a company, that's one of the reasons why I bought this hoodie. Um, and there's more and more companies doing that, right? Trying to have this sustainability angle. Uh, you can see how many companies moving away from, you know, fossil fuels and all that type of stuff, trying to be more greener. So I think it's on the rise. People are becoming more conscious about it. So maybe that's one aspect. I'm not sure. Perhaps we haven't been as conscious about it. I think there's another aspect which is it's it's probably an unsexy thing right like we love building these beautiful experiences and then we start to talk about things like well okay that app is great or whatever it is it's beautiful it it works well but how does somebody who's blind use it how does somebody who's you know maybe lost a hand use it um those types of things and then it's yeah oh you've now made my really cool thing not so cool (laughs) Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe that's another angle. I, yeah, I often, yeah. Yeah, but why? Uh, I mean, we, we have the, the Scrum values, right? Those are more or less understood, even though less lived up to. Now, psychological safety seems to be one of those things that, that's more up, upcoming. How does uh, ethics in products, how does that differentiate from these aspects? Just for the, the listeners as well to understand what we're exactly talking about here. Yeah, I mean, like it's 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 not really covered inside the values, right? Um, I mean, we value certain, like even the Agile Manifesto, individuals and interactions, those types of things um, over precedent tools. But there's nothing really explicitly calling it out. Uh, is probably one part of it, uh, and it, and it differs because like we can we can do unethical things within the Scrum framework, right? <laughs> uh, we can absolutely, we can, yeah. Uh, the Scrum's just the framework. There's that how do we determine what we do, which is where that value piece of the puzzle comes into it, is something that, you know, by and large lives outside of it or can work within the framework, but it's not it and like tied to it is what I guess I'm getting at. Um so yeah, we it's yeah, you can do you can be unethical within the scrum framework. It's probably my my thing there. Do you think that has a has something to do with the short-term focusness of uh, quite some organizations, of many organizations. Like we need to have business value delivery right now. Don't care how, but we need to get it done. Then other aspects uh, get overlooked. I I absolutely think that's a huge aspect of it. Um, You know, one of the things that often happens, you know, that I've experienced as well working in companies, especially profit-driven companies is we tend to not want to we're always cut in scope right like we're always trying to what's the cheapest nastiest way we can do something that's going to give us you know the maximum bang for buck and i mean i i exaggerate there of course but you know spending more time to make something accessible as an example it can often be 
something that's often de-scoped, right? Oh, we can live without that because 90% of our users don't have a disability and and therefore it's, you know, we're cat- you know that's, that's even being data-driven, right? Like I'm being a data-driven um, product owner there, but the ethical question comes into it is, is, is that the right thing to do? Is that how you should be prioritizing? Because just because 90% of your users uh, are like that, should we be discriminating? And this is where the whole equity um, piece of the puzzle comes into it too, which is, well, we should be actually spending more time and effort for that 10% to help give them the leg up in the world that they need um, as opposed to catering towards the masses. And obviously profits come into it. Yeah, time to value. We want to get something out quick. Um, MVPs never include accessibility. And when you are in an organization that is very short-term focused, often you ship MVPs or some variation off mm-hmm. and you never go back to it, right? So you're never going back to add all those extra things and or, or rarely you're going back, I should say. So that's a huge dynamic. An example of the flip side of that, uh, I worked uh, for... I did some work for ABC here in Australia, which is a broadcast, um, the basically the equivalent of the British BBC, and obviously they're government funded. And we had a huge; it, it was part of its values, which was for all Australians, and therefore there was a huge uh, pillar inside of our strategy that was all about accessibility. And I was proud to work on products that we spent a lot of time building these types of things in and we thought about the ethical um, dilemmas and impacts of our decisions as it pertains to our strategy and mission for, for, for all Australians. And as a result, we would spend a lot of time in that, but it's so hard to justify it in more profit driven companies because you're spending twice as long to build something because you're building all this extra stuff in uh, that they just see money. Right. <laughs> Yeah, of course. And in a way, there is there's an argument for it. I mean, you still work for an organization that needs to make money, but there are less tangible parts to this as well that doesn't necessarily bring the revenue in right away. But it's also like you were just discussing uh, the, the Adidas vest. Uh, I'm wearing a Nike hoodie. I've, I've worked at Nike. I really like Nike and what they stand for uh, and the way that they have been elevating their uh the way that they make their products, uh, as well as in the countries, um, ensuring that the salaries are on the uh, right level. They've been having their fair share of challenges, of course, but they, they really are there to overcome those because of the good of the company, not nece- and, and for the um, for the people who create those. Not just because it makes revenue, but it's the right thing to do. And I think that's that's a question that you're trying to dig in here as well. Is this the right thing to do? And if not, what is? But how do you make that more transparent in an organization that focuses on way too much money? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard uh, inside a company that focuses solely on on the money. I, I mean, you bring up some good good points there too because there are some, I, I guess part of the challenge is these things are more lagging metrics or lagging outcomes that you'll get out of it. But there's lots of data and research on the rise around uh, even employees, right? Like people want to work for a profit, a a, not a profit, a purpose-driven company, right? Uh, We're looking for that. So you think about employee satisfaction, employee retention, all those types of things. You, You definitely, if you're being, if you, if you're not just saying you're ethical, but you're, you're, 
being it and showing it and displaying it in certain ways, yeah, you're going to have happier employees, um, those types of things. And and same with on the other end with more loyal customers, right? Like people will stay as opposed to going shopping around and find finding something else. Um, I think that's something that's really recent though. And that's again, why it's probably hard to really put your finger on and say, and point to and say that that's given some you know success and that ultimately if we do this we will lead to better profits in the future because uh, i think it's only really we're becoming more conscious as uh, to it as a society so i think it's only on the rise so harder to prove but part of it is is making that sell and making that transparency towards your stakeholders and 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 part of and that's part of the argument with a prioritization right is making the impact of our decisions visible so we can make smart choices do I choose mm-hmm. A over B? What's the consequence of that? Um, and not just a consequence from a return and investment point of view and, you know, how hard is it to build and dependencies and all the usual things that we go through, but also, well, what's the, there's there's an impact potentially. Uh, I like to talk about negative value. So there's mm-hmm. a negative value aspect there, which is, well, what's the reputation on the company? If we do something that's potentially not good, um, we would hate, you know, to have to to be in the front page news because, you know, somebody who's blind can't even access their bank account, as an example, because we haven't built any accessibility <laughs> in and they can't access their terrible. money. That's a pretty bad thing to end up on, you know current affairs or 60 minutes or whatever kind of news program you've got going on uh, and equally some really good value be it not dollar figures would be winning an accessibility award or or you know those types of things and and people raving on about it and then um yeah getting the benefits from that yeah so i was reading this book today the four stages of psychological safety written by uh timothy r clark which i can highly recommend the first thing that he sees on of those first stages of those four stages uh, are inclusion safety and in which it doesn't matter um, what the person is like whether he whether that's race sex sexual preference uh, but also disabilities come to into account and I guess that's that's the absolute basic of feeling psychological safe in an organization but that goes just as well with the sentiment with products people should be feeling uh, safe around your product that they should feel included this is he describes this as the absolute first thing yet only now after a million years of evolution uh, way more but you get you get my uh, my gist only at this point we're starting to get to this discussion why yeah, there's actually one model which is not backed by science at all, really, but it's something that I find very interesting. Um, is talking about levels of consciousness, and uh, in fact, the Leilu culture model, which he wrote the book Reinventing Organizations, uh, that was based on that or inspired by that. So they believe that there's um, different levels of consciousness, and um, basically a, a spectrum from, you know, I have my basic needs, I just need to eat sleep, go Mm -hmm. to the bathroom, reproduce, that type of stuff. And then we start to elevate up. We start to identify ourselves as a human being. uh, And what does that mean? Uh, I start to have an identity. And then we start to want to belong. 
Uh, we, and that's where tribalism and yeah. that type of stuff comes in. And then the next thing is we start to, you know, elevate above that and we start to not – what I mean by elevating above that is we don't associate ourselves with our tribes. So that level of consciousness is often – aligned to or akin to again i said tribalism but also things like gangs and you know you see it in you know doing certain colleges and you know people are like are proud of their their identity becomes who i guess that that thing uh, a that sense of belonging um, yeah. yeah a sense of belonging then we kind of elevate above that where we can kind of exist above a sense of belonging and we 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 no longer associate with it and we can kind of make more choices amongst ourselves um a good examples of that are people who are like born in really you know, strict religions or something, and then they grow up and then the, they leave it all and like the Amish life or whatever, and they leave that. Uh, and then the last one is they, they believe is essentially like transcendence. And, and that's probably some crazy spiritual um, nirvana that we may never reach. But I guess the part of the, the thing, the reason why I find the model so interesting is because they believe that as we've evolved, we've slowly moved up these levels of consciousness. So if you think about the transition between, you know, that more tribalism, you know, that belonging um, to the next stage, it, it, we start to, for example, we no longer associate ourselves with anybody who just looks like me. We start to think about, well, what about all the people who don't look like me? They're just as important as as me. What about just because I believe in a certain religion doesn't mean all the other people who believe in other religions aren't just as important as me. Um, it, that's what happens when you move between those levels of consciousness. So uh, I guess the thing that is interesting as it pertains to this is if we are moving to that level of consciousness, um, that means there's a larger number of people in the population moving to that level of consciousness, which means we become more conscious about uh, ethics, about inclusivity, about equity, about everything, right? You know, um, things that used to be taboo, same-sex marriages, all that type of stuff. We become more open to it. And um, yeah, so I, I think that's that's the thing that immediately comes to mind when you, when you say that. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel that has a lot to do with, or does it tie together with the complex environments that we're working on with business agility, for instance, uh, because there is so much more needed than just following a strict procedure and therefore we need a whole lot different aspects. Do you think that ties together? Uh, absolutely. And I, I, that's basically what Leilu, um, the whole culture model, um, that's basically what he, what he, the case that he makes. He, he built that culture model based inspired by as far as i understand it inspired by the levels of consciousness and he buckets organizations into essentially colors for those who are uh, familiar with it and he's basically saying that um those more i guess hierarchical command and control environments uh work very well inside simple work that's more procedural you can have one person making all the decisions and and then you have the worker bees who who do the work and they just follow orders and procedures and that works well but then when we move into the complex nature of work and things uh more complex fast-paced you know uh, classic um uncertain we need more people thinking we need more people making decisions and um, we need less worker bees and we need more you know scientists thinkers like right people who are willing to challenge the norm and and whatnot so yeah i definitely think there's there's an alignment there and and you know maybe maybe just thinking out loud too maybe technological advancement and and the ever-increasing complex world that we're creating for ourselves might be one of the things that is driving us up those levels of consciousness i mean i look at my four-year-old and how well he can use an ipad and <laughs> and everything right and it's yeah, and you just it's think also very that's good at UX. his age already. That's he's 
brain is yeah it's just going to extend from there but that's very good ux as well and, and user interface design uh, that four years four year olds are able to pick it up and of course there's there's part of mimicking right they see us how to use yeah. that and uh Sometimes, and I don't let my kids steal my phone too often, but if they if they do, they immediately go with their fingers and they're swiping, they're doing everything, and then all of a sudden I have a million pictures that I didn't take uh, <laughs> with their happy little faces. But it's the, the, that's indeed part of that evolution where, you know, the, the decentralized decision-making brings in more perspectives and more, it unlocks... Uh, creativity it unlocks innovation therefore you also have to have these discussions how are we going to improve and if someone doesn't feel included or whatsoever or for instance the accessibility to people with a disability or anything else those things will pop up Um, how would you make that more pragmatic and practical for people who are now listening that think hey we we should do that too where can they start yeah i mean one of my one of my favorite places to start and there's a brilliant book called the the mum test um so that's one of them i actually learned my version of the mum's test um from the military uh we used to call it the 60 minutes test 60 minutes is a very popular current affairs program in australia and basically the the thought is to anytime you're making a decision so let's say you're prioritizing some work we're going to do a certain piece of functionality or we're going to prioritize something a over b um, to just pause for a moment and think about, and the 60 minutes test is essentially think about how this would look on front, front page. If this current affairs got a hold of it, what type of story would they make about it? Is it a positive story or is it not? If it's not a positive story, maybe we should re- rethink our decision. And the mom test is essentially a variation of that, which is if you had to tell your mom about it, let's say you're going to go to their house for dinner tonight <laughs> and you had to tell her about your day at work, how would she feel about that, right? Would she be proud of you about that decision or would she be um, yeah, disappointed? And, and really, that's a really simple place to start. But um, what that invokes is the habit to basically pause and just think about some of the um, consequences of the decision. Uh, sometimes these are unintended consequences. So, you know, we don't, and sometimes we can't always see the future things. We tend to do things with the best intentions and that's that mm-hmm. I truly believe. And sometimes mistakes happen um, or sometimes you just can't tell, but to just pause. Cause sometimes if you just think about it, I think there's a lot of haste, in organizations, um, uh, sometimes Agile sometimes makes it a bit worse because Agile tends to want to speed things up and speed up decision-making. And and that sometimes is a good thing because we can make decisions that are reversible. But sometimes even if we reverse the decision, that negative value that I talked about has already happened and, and that's harder to regain from, you know. Um, yeah. Ex- yeah. So I think pause in thinking about it, build that habit, do the mom's test or even just, all right, what are somebody like, let's just put our Debbie Downer hat on and what are all the, what are all the negative things that can come <laughs> out from this? And, and yeah, kind of just do that for 30 seconds or 10 seconds and uh, you'll be amazed. Is it by the way that Agile wants to speed things up or is it the organization that wants to use Agile to speed things up? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bit of both there um, in, in my view. So I definitely think organizations are always racing to move quicker and, you know, they love to throw words around like be more efficient and et cetera. So trying to do everything quicker. But uh, I even, there's, there's even 
some elements, right? Like um, time boxing. I'm a big fan of time boxing, so don't get me wrong there. Uh, but sometimes we hit the time box and we're just kind of, all right, that's the time box that's done. But you might be in the middle and this is part of a facilitate the, the the art of facilitation, right? And and being a good facilitator mm-hmm. and being able to read the room and work it out. Sometimes, hey, we're not all came to a conclusion yet, or maybe we all don't have a shared understanding yet, or or whatnot. And actually, talking for a bit longer is actually going to yield better better results. Um, and um, and you know, even little things with uh, sprints and daily standoffs and things kind of being short and rapid and trying to make those rapid decisions on the fly. Really, really good. But, you know, we, we need to also be mindful that we can't have too much bias for action that, you know. Yeah. No, of course, sometimes, and I, we've, I've been talking and discussing this with our uh, mutual friend, Martin Delman, quite frequently that we lose pragmatism in, in some, some areas there. Um, the sprint itself, I would say that would, that that's a, that's a good time box. And, I teach these scrum courses as well, and quite often people ask me, "Well, can we can we extend the time box if if we if we're not completely done yet?" But consider this: now you have you have your financial year, let's say that ends at December thirty first, and someone comes to you at December twenty sixth. Hey, we're almost done, but can we extend twenty twenty two with just a week? So not fifty three weeks, but fifty four. Yeah, that's not going to work either. You can't just extend everything just for the sake of extending and finishing stuff now make a discussion out of that why didn't we finish what can we do to ensure um, that we will finish or use the 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 time box mindfully and purposefully i think there's there we're still losing a little bit of pragmatism sometimes and also going into these these zombie frameworks if you will how do you think how do you feel about that about the pragmatism part Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, when when you talked about extending the the, the sprint is a it's a perfect e- example of it. I, I I too also agree. Let's not extend the sprint, but sometimes we will rush to finish something in order to get it into the sprint, um, and sometimes we could do that at our own detriment, right? Or we just have quality issues. We just have, and we talk about these things, yeah. right? baked in quality, and 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 we got we got measures to help protect us against that. Things like definition of done. You know, if we're doing you know quality quality engineering very well we should have you know tests and those types of things that are going to help protect us but uh, sometimes we do kind of squeeze things in and as a result sometimes we might deprioritize things that um on this exact topic right well let's not do that accessibility thing even though you know we're, we're supposed to and it's in our definition of done and just so we can try and get it in when we're better off saying no, we're not going to get it done this sprint. It's going to kind of go over and have it to your point, have a discussion about why that happened. Did we bite off more than we can chew? Did we, you know, those types of things. Um, yeah, I think that's where the, 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 those time boxes become, come dangerous when we try and rush things in order to meet them. The time box exists for, I often say with time boxes, and this goes for the sprint, every single time box you use, the end of your time box is not like we're done. We're moving on. It gets treated that way a lot. It, it's, it should be an um, inflection point, right? It should be yeah. a point to reflect. Okay, we have been discussing for 15 minutes. Do we? I, this is why I love lean coffee, right? We've been discussing it for however long you want to be running your lean coffee, eight minutes. Uh, do we want to continue on this topic or do we want to move to the next topic, right? And it's a decision point. It's not a, yeah, we've hit the time box. We need to make a decision and we're moving on to the next thing. It's, it should be, do we need to talk more about this in order to make the decision? Do we need to create more time to make the decision um, outside of right now? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it's funny to see and very contradictive that these time boxes and the, the end of the sprint is being used to rush things out, create more output, while the whole purpose of a sprint is to deliver value. But by rushing it, you diminish your value. So it's very, how do you call that? Counterintuitive to that point. Yep. So now what? What do we need to do now? Um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I think the the pragmatism part is something that I guess we talk a lot about and stuff. And uh, I always, I always try and be as pragmatic as possible. You know, uh, steer as much away from. I guess dogma and doing things by the book. It's I always just treat any framework, anything as a guide, right? It's it should be a guide, and and you need to you need to engage your own thinking and, and understand when that makes sense and when that doesn't make sense. And and I think the same goes for for you know value and ethics too, right? Like you need to think about these things and just make sure that you are making a conscious decision about it. Um, there's, you know, you can even cry, try and create things inside your organization to help facilitate it more. Uh, I, I got exposed um, to this meetup that was actually out of, I think, Switzerland. And this um, gentleman was actually creating an ethics canvas. So I'll have to try and find it to dig it up. In fact, and I was very interested in it for this exact reason because I'm interested in this topic. It's like ethics canvas. This is really cool. I want to see this. But you could do something similar, right? Like maybe just, you know, build a canvas, jot some questions down or even some bullet points. Anytime we're, we're doing something, um, build as part of your definition of done or something. Have we thought about these things? Have we thought about, you know, have we thought about, you know, minorities, those types of things? Are, are we letting data drive us too much? Because that that also happens. I used that example before. Well, but 90% of our users don't aren't colorblind. So who cares about colorblind people? That's... Um, <laughs> You know, are we are we are we doing that? Are we letting our own biases kind of kind of come through? I think the other thing in this whole uh, thing as well you can do is create diverse groups. This is something that we just talked about, right? Like part of the whole diversity of thought and getting people in and multiple inputs, and and part of that being a a puzzle piece to solve for complex work and complex organizations. Well, it also is part of what we need for for ethics and building things that are you know inclusive and equitable because uh, i know i have my own biases right like um you know i think about things like um colorblind because i used to work with somebody who was colorblind in fact we used to have to draw borders around our poster notes uh, that we stuck on our kanban wall because he couldn't differentiate between the green poster notes and the blue ones and i never thought about that <laughs> until i worked with him right and and i've got a, a one of my best friends he's his sister's blind in fact so um so i think about those things a lot because i'm exposed to it but you know i don't know anybody yeah. who's in a wheelchair i don't know anyone there's a whole list of kind of things right and um I'm blind to those things, so I'm conscious about that. Uh, but how I can expose myself or we can expose our team to it is by building more diverse teams. The more diversity we have in our team, the more we will we will have somebody who's exposed to it, who, who's thinking about it, uh, and and that's how we, we, we strengthen it, right? Like diverse organizations, diverse teams, everything. That's one of the reasons why diversity is so important. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. And I think there are a lot of um, unconscious biases as well that you're, like you said, you're blind to, you just don't know. But if you never ask those questions to your team members, have has anyone ever treated you bias, un, uh, unconsciously biased for some reason or make this uh, a transparent discussion, you are not going to tr- transcend beyond this point. I'm not sure which company it was, 
um, and I don't really want to shame them, but there was this organization that wanted to take out the bias in their hiring process, right? <clears throat> and they made an, uh, made an machine learning AI tool for this that would scan uh, the resumes that they were going through and then they would the machine would take over ultimately the, the 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 algorithm would take over based on whatever their own um, sales and hiring persons uh, people were doing they found out that this tool became racial biased because of the unconscious actions of those people doing that they they would ultimately only pick white people for some reason unconsciously but they would only pick white people therefore the tool made it very transparent that this bias was there instantly shut down the entire program and had a good discussion on what's going on here. What do we need to do to fix this? But there is so much unconscious bias in the way that we conduct our business, the way that we live. You just don't know, but um, I hope that, that no one, my hopes are that no one else should feel uh, excluded because of whatever bias there is. Would you say, because relating this back to, to the ethics board, I can imagine that people in teams and the developers in teams are like, ah, oh, there's another list that we need to take into account. Would you place this, for instance, under non-functional requirements as well to make it a little bit easier? I, I mean, you definitely can. I think that's probably up to you and your team and what makes sense. Um, if, if you find that easier to put it there, um, I've put it in definition of done before. Um it's definitely like another consideration, but I guess what I've tend to tend to found, find um, in the best teams I've worked in is definitely true for the best teams. Uh, everyone's so passionate. They're passionate about the work that they do. They're passionate about the impact that it makes, um, and and they care about these things. And sometimes you say it, and they're like, "Man, I didn't never thought about that," but that's that's so true and we should be caring about yeah. this and and then suddenly they start challenging everything they're like well you know that last group of customers we interviewed uh was that a diverse group and then you're like well i'm not actually sure let's actually look at that i didn't didn't think about that um have we actually you know done any user testing with people who are colorblind oh no in fact we haven't that's a really good point uh etc cetera, etc cetera. so you know if, if you kind of i guess passionate the people who care about their work will care about this and they will they will actually want to to do it as, as at least be my my experience um and, and that example of the hiring one you just made me think of it there's an excellent book called hello world uh and it talks about all these types of examples where technology has gone wrong and the, the truth is garbage in garbage out right so if you base it off uh hundreds and thousands of biased inputs then a machine will be biased. It won't not be biased because that's how, and they, yeah, some even more examples about um, like in, in trying to do people's sentences and stuff in the United States. So, um, which is even, even worse yeah. than, than, than hiring people, right? Like you're sending people to, to, to jail. Yeah. Mm. Could you imagine being in jail? And I'm 100% sure this happens way too often and, and more than that's being discussed, but that you're in death row or uh, another terrible sentence because of this while you're innocent, just because you fit a racial profile or some other um, biased profile ah, must be absolutely terrible. And, and and I mean, this is a really good ex example of why this topic's so important because 
this is um, exactly what I said at the beginning. Like the products and services we build uh, ha- have an impact. And we we often don't talk about it. Is is probably where I sit, and I think we should talk about it more. You know, I'm I'm sure all the people who built that never intended that to happen, uh, and I, I truly believe that. But uh, it did happen, and we should be conscious of that. Well, let's actually think about it. Or how do we how do we de- even de risk it? Right? How do, how can we test this a bit before we even put in the production? And here's another thing that Agile, I guess, is at odds a little bit with some of the Agile. Uh, the 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 speed that agile wants to push sometimes because you know we we talk a lot about ship things as fast as possible fail fast fail often all those types of things uh mm-hmm. but sometimes shipping something to production too early can again negative value right detrimental effect and i'm not saying that it means we need to go against any of the agile values because the the core values still stand true which is all about learning right why do we want to do this because we want to learn as quickly as possible and we want to learn as much as possible and only through you know trying something and it not going right will we yeah. will we really uncover the right way to go but you need to also think about the context or the confines that you're doing that in am i doing it to am i am i it's like um, the saying about experiment with your users not on your users so you know <laughs> don't ship it and just have them all try and work it out and have all See this bad stuff happen yeah exactly uh find ways to to do that in a safer way in a, a smaller scaled way this is where prototypes and user testing comes in this is where um ship into you know a beta group or a one percent and then scaling from there because then that impact is more contained and um as, yeah etc there's plenty of other tools but yeah yeah, release when it makes sense instead of release for the sake of releasing. I think that's that's still a vastly overlooked thing because people indeed sometimes just want to speed up for the sake of speeding things up. Not because it makes sense, not because it adds value, because then we have the metric with we, which we can show we're releasing very often, which ah, doesn't it, it releasing itself doesn't add the value. That you to get to such a culture and and. Building this into your product is one. That's one aspect. But there's also another hook to it, and that's the uh, the van- just to make, create this as a vanity metric. Let's put it like that. That we say we're very inclusive. That we're we're having a psychological safe product. Blah blah blah. But while our organization and our team doesn't fit that, so we're, we we pretend to be so for the outside world, while internally we're not. How does management and leadership fit into this um, from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, the best organizations that I've worked with that um, have truly kind of baked this in and it's not just been the talk, um, it's all about the actions and and those things break down. For example, um, they would have uh, like diversity right as, as something that they truly value and they're truly working towards right and and not just diversity as a vanity metric as like we truly want to make sure that we're hiring diverse people and we have diverse teams and we're making sure that the teams are quite balanced and and all those types of things so they're talking about it and and i think from leaders too just leading by example is a huge part the more you talk about it the more you know if you're in a sprint review as an example and you see something and you think about something you should talk about it and those company uh the, the best companies that i can think of that i've worked for that are like that it is it's in the culture everyone calls it out they're like oh what about this what about um what about the impacts of this what about the legalities around this and and there's constant conversation and 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 debate around it um and then i think there's ways to break it down diversity is one part of it 
because as I said, that's a huge part of the puzzle. Diverse teams will tend to build more inclusive products than non-diverse teams uh, just because of unconscious bias. Uh, but uh, other parts are things around like, well, do we actually have on our strategy and and something around outcomes or, or goals for us around things like accessibility, right? Like you can break it down. Yeah, is it is it meeting certain accessibility standards? Is it not? That's a pretty clear cut thing. And if if everything needs to meet that, then everything should meet that. And um, and there's plenty like Ali um, A one one Y. That's a great website for accessibility and stuff. And they'll they'll even do um, essentially they've got a program that will run your website or your app and tell you how accessible it is and give you benchmarks and those types of things. Like, are you doing that? Is that part of talk going back to non-functional requirements? Is that part of your definition of done? Is that part of your, your non-functional is, is everything that you build being run through that? Um, do you actually put it as part of your CICD pipeline, right? That you're actually always running that and things are being flagged when it comes, when, when it comes, comes out of that, uh, yeah, there, there's some of what the tool things was that, that what you're saying? Um, it's called it's called Ally, but it's A one one Y, not L L Y. Um, I think it's accessibility pun, to be honest. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, so so yeah, it's it's uh, I can't remember if it's dot com or not, but yeah, it's um that's a great resource. I'm gonna check it out and include it in the show notes. Sounds yeah. sounds very useful. Yeah, definitely. It's really awesome. Yeah, I mean, those companies, they have that and they're, they're using it. And that was part of our definition of done. So everything ran through it and we got a benchmark. And were we within the threshold or outside of it? If we're outside, then we're not shipping it. Like we need to fix this before we before we um, put it out there because it's not meeting certain accessibility standards. And they look at standards around like um, color blindness, but also blind. So, you know, like things like alt text and all that type of stuff. Do you have alt text on everything? Um, is uh, is is it done in font or do you have font on images where you know the the text readers can't read it like the native readers the browser readers can't read it um, those types of things yeah yeah well that resonates with me very well what you were mentioning and why because what I notice for instance when you're more exposed to these these aspects you're gonna take care uh, take them into account more often and you'll ultimately you'll take them up in your personal life as well but I see with people for instance who have uh, different um, uh, passports, uh, have lived in different countries, are more prone to be open to different cultures and therefore inclusive a lot faster um, than people who are stuck in the same place and have only a very singular perspective. Uh, So I guess that's also what you're referring to here. Open yourself up to those different aspects, to, to accessibility. It's only for the better of both for the product. And I think it has a lot to do or ties together with personal growth as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a fundamental thing. I mean, again, I come back to the responsibility and I guess the duty that at least I believe we have as product people with the products that we build uh, that we are thinking about these things. So if, if you haven't before, that's okay. Um, I exactly to your point, spend some time, go onto the web, go onto the alley website. They've got heaps of resources on there. Um, learn more about it. Learn. Um, yeah. Just spend some time understanding it. Cause that's, that's part of it. If, if you're not exposed to it, then it's hard to, that's where the bias comes in. Right. So get more exposure and just learn more about it. Cause, uh, the products that we build, we have a responsibility there, right? Like the things that we build have an impact on people. And yeah. Exactly. Hey, now for the last question, where can people find you? Where can people interact with you? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, socials is probably um, one of the first places to come to mind. LinkedIn, Twitter, um, easiest easiest places to to find me. Um, both um, Ant underscore Murphy, and my website as well, AntMurphy.me, is probably another place you can find me. Um, I'm also uh, a director of the Association of Product Professionals. So if you go to productprofessionals.com, you can also find me there as well. So um, yeah, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this topic and you know product professionals as well, um, I, I hope that through that, we can also do some great work around this as well and exposing more product people to these things. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much for being here, man. I hope this is very useful to a lot of people. And I think this is going to be an eye opener for quite some. I hope you guys enjoyed it listening. Thank you very much. Enjoy your day, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone. And that's it for today's show. I hope you liked it just as much as I did. Again, as I said in the beginning, with the Mastering Agility platform, we're now creating and organizing meetups as well, both physical as well as virtual ones. So I hope I can see you there. I can welcome you there, as well as on the Discord. You can find both on meetup.com in the show notes as well, on LinkedIn, you can find us everywhere. But I'm really looking forward to interact with you, to engage with you, and to connect you to all the other inspiring agilists around the world. I hope you'll join us again in the next episode of the Mastering Agility Podcast. See you guys then.